is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 580, recorded on Monday, April the 4th, 2022. Holy shit. (laughs) Yes, I know, April the 4th, 2022. Oh no, 580, 480, 580. What did you just say? 580. Yeah. That's, anyway. I knew it was coming, right? Last one was 579. Yeah. Now it's 580. Just... Oh, that's how numbers work, but it is uh, a lot. It's a lot. And we're definitely going to hit 600, obviously, uh, if we, if, you know, because we have eight more episodes, well, technically nine more episodes of The Walking Dead to do, plus other shows. Those shows are all coming up soon. So yeah. at this rate, we could hit 700, 800, who knows? A thousand. Oh my God, that'd be crazy. Anyways, that's too nuts to even think about. I know, I know. I can't even fathom that, but we're getting ahead of ourselves because this is number 580. We are going to be talking about the episode number 15 of season 11 of The Walking Dead. Uh, And other than asking you how you've been lately, I got nothing else. I've been fine. Thanks. How you been? (laughs) Uh, I have a problem. Uh Uh-oh. Is it a Lego problem? No, 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 no. I ordered the new DeLorean time machine, as you know, and it hasn't arrived yet. So I guess you could say that's a problem, but it's coming. Yeah. But no, I don't have a Lego problem. The problem I have is I broke my glasses. Oh, shit. You were just in the process of uh, dealing with glasses. Well, that, that, that part of the problem. That's the problem. I broke my glasses, so I've been wearing my old glasses, which do the job, but not really very well. And I'm finding that... Uh, as the day goes on now, my, my eyes just get more and more fatigued. And by the end of the day, I kind of feel crappy because of it and tired and worn out. And like, I can't not just not see anything, but I just don't want to do anything because I think my brain is tired from looking through these old glasses, which sort of work, but don't really. So I have new ones on order. They're coming soon, I hope. And that will get my life back to normal. But for now, Jason, what this means is you have to do the recap and read all the notes I made because I can't read them. Fair enough. All right. Good. So, <laughs> you want to get started? <laughs> uh, so, this is, uh, what show are we doing? We're doing uh, The Walking Dead, right? Uh, yeah, for once. You know, we're, we're going to pivot and talk what about the hell? that this week. Yeah. yeah. This probably isn't the best idea. We should probably just switch back and you're going to have to suck it up and suffer through, my friend. All right. Well, we'll see how this goes. This is The Walking Dead Season 11, Episode 15. It aired on AMC last night on Sunday, April the 3rd, and here's what it was called. Give me a T. T T-R-R-U-U-S-S-T-T. What do you get? Trust. And who do you trust? Nobody. Trust. Trust. I trust you. Like the flowers trust the rain, you know, I trust you. And I'll start it all again, you know, I trust you. I trust you. 
I trust you. Those were all title reads with the word trust in it, which is the name of this episode. Thank you to Happy Jack and Victoria, B.C., Elliot and Britton, Matt and Frankie, our regulars in Oklahoma City, and Trucker Jim with his version of I Need You by the band America, but he mm. changed it to I Trust You. Gotcha. And I wanted to say, uh, you know, if if anyone sings their title read, like I'm, I'm most likely going to play that because, you know, well, yeah. singing to a, a huge audience like this is, is a big deal. Unless you're a professional singer, then it's probably no big deal. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone for those title reads. This is Trust. We begin the episode on Carlson's dead, mangled, and half-eaten body. Half his face is missing, which is kind of awesome, actually. And Daryl and a bunch of other troopers are there investigating the scene. Like it's a crime scene, actually. Yeah, they're putting down... Uh... You know, little cards with numbers on them, like they're gathering evidence. Yeah, they're marking, they're counting the, the bodies or the, the evidence locations, something like that. So Daryl is looking at Carlson's body. He's called up to the roof where we find Hornsby questioning Aaron and Gabe. And the story they give is that they met with the Riverbend people. Things got tense. And then Riverbend killed everybody except Aaron and Gabe. And then yep. all the Riverbend people just fled and they called Hornsby. So Hornsby asks what Daryl thinks of this because he's kind of skeptical. And Daryl says, well, we've, I've known these people a long time. If that's what they say happened, it's what happened. For sure. Right? Why would I, why would I not believe them? But as I said, Hornsby doesn't buy it. And he kind of steps toward Aaron and Gabe who, remember I said they're on the roof. They have their backs to the, the broken roof part where everybody fell off or was pushed off and uh it kind of gets a little tense you think that hornsby might be stepping forward to maybe force them backwards a little bit uh he thinks that maybe the riverbend people weren't actually strangers to them he thinks something else was going on here and he says that you know we all want the same thing justice and they're going to smoke these people out because they definitely can't leave them on the loose. And he tells Daryl to suit up, put on his armor. That's right, suit up. Did, did you ever think, though, that, you know, Aaron or Gabe was going to even come close to falling off the roof? Oh, no. No? No. <laughs> Didn't even occur to me until you uh, mentioned that uh, it got a little tense about them having their backs to the edge of the roof like that. I mean, I think that's what we were supposed to believe, right? Yeah, like, I missed it, I guess. Wow. All right. Well, I didn't really ever think either of them was going to be pushed off, but I did think maybe there'd be like a close call or something. You know, Hornsby would maybe push one and he'd fall, but not go right over or something like that. But none of that happened. It was just dramatic tension. And then Hornsby backs off a little bit. One guy has a spiky mace hand. You're going to, you're going to step to a spiky mace hand guy and try and, uh, push him off and Aaron's like bigger than, than Hornsby. So, you know, I, I really didn't think there was any danger there. And then father Gabe would just, you know, you know, take a finger and, uh, poke him in the chest, uh, put him on the ground and then pick him up by his big toe and then fling him or fling him off the roof. Of course. I mean, that's exactly how I imagined it happening, but you've got to remember there were a couple of troopers with guns on them too. Right. So, yeah, but they weren't pointed. I mean, they still, they would, uh, it would take a couple of seconds for them to get their shit together. I guess so, yeah. I guess so. Well, nobody goes off the roof here. Uh, and then 
Hornsby walks back through like the roof access door, goes back inside the building, and Daryl follows him through. But as he's going, he kind of turns and gives Aaron and Gabe a concerned or maybe a don't worry kind of look. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, and through all of this, of course, Daryl's in his civilian clothes again. The guy seems to change out of his armor every chance he gets. Well, what, you know, it's like Spider-Man. You can't, uh, you can't have the whole show with Spider-Man wearing Spider-Man outfit. No, I guess not, because sometimes he has to be Peter Parker. But, I mean, is Daryl a soldier or is he not? It doesn't really seem like he has to follow the same rules as the rest of them. Uh, yeah, it's Daryl Dixon. You know, he doesn't follow the same rules. No, I suppose that's true. All right, well, we go over to Mercer. He's in bed. He's waking up. It's 4.45 in the morning. 5.45. Uh, sorry, 5.45. That's right. And he's in, it turns out he's in bed with Princess. Yeah, so with no shirt on. That's fine. Yeah, no, it's fine. And I was I was going to say, like, uh, you know, I've been a heterosexual man for all of my life. This makes me feel a little funny. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, easy. It, it's, not, it's not a bad thing. It's just, uh, makes me feel a little funny. Sure. Well, I mean, there's a scene later in this episode that might, uh, get you going a little bit too in that case. Uh, but he's chatting there. I mean, he's waking up with princess. So their relationship has clearly progressed to this point. So they chat about how great the sex is, which I'm happy to hear. Yeah. Uh, and, but she does hate, you know, these super early wake up times. I think she calls him like a super soldier or something like that. Has to get up early in the morning. And she can tell, though, that he's lying there stewing about something because he's always just staring at the ceiling, uh, she says. And, of course, she offers herself up as a good listener, someone there who can help, who can, like, support him, be with him through tough whatever. But he says he's fine. Yeah. In typical Mercer style, I, I would think. Uh, but it's the closest thing we've had to a sex scene in a long time, I think. It, it is. I'm not even sure I can think of the last one, but it's uh, happened. Well, it's Eugene happened. watched, uh, uh, <laughs> what's the name? Abraham and, uh, and Rosita have sex. That's true. That's true. That was the sex scene. And you know, what's funny. I think I, I have a recollection of us having a similar conversation before where every time there is some sexy time on the show, we go, oh, this is the first time in a long time or ever. And then of course people remind us when all the sex has happened on this show. So let's just, you know. Uh, acknowledge the fact that um, we're old and our memories aren't what they used to be and I'm sure there was sex on the show in the past uh, but here's more Add yeah the- and every time sex gets brought up or shown or you know anytime it happens it's an event it is an event I guess so <laughs> anyways we go to Connie and Kelly who have come to visit Eugene and Rosita at his place, I think. And apparently Rosita told Eugene, uh, sorry, yeah, told Eugene about the Sebastian mission and how he's been, you know, sending civilians into their deaths to try and retrie- retrieve money. But they want to inform Connie about this because she is a member of the press. And I guess they figure she can write about it and expose this. But as, yep. we, as we know, the press isn't exactly free in this Commonwealth. Can we talk about this apartment for a little while? Go ahead. Okay, so this is Eugene's apartment? Well, I think so. I, I, yeah, I think so. It's kind of crazy because uh, it's got, first of all, it's got that wonderful uh, 
uh, flower, sunflower crochet blanket on the back of the couch, uh-huh. which is really nice. There is a uh, an, an old 50s-style Tupperware juice jug. You know what, the one with the button you press to, to seal it in? Yeah. Uh, you push the button and it, it expands the, the lid. Uh, so when, when you're not pushing the button, it's all sealed in to seal the orange juice in. There's a, a 50 style TV tray that's on the counter. That's like opens, it sits on your lap. Uh, there's like, uh, plates of, uh, what looks like fruit and, uh, bonbons of some kind and like a cake dish, like a, like a, a glass cake dish on uh-huh. a pedestal with a fucking pie in it. Yeah. Uh, this is weird this is weird <laughs> it's right it's like a it, it it doesn't strike me as eugene and i'm putting up air quotes here it strikes me as like my grandma like this and not even my grandma my grandma's place is more modern than this and she wouldn't just have fucking cakes and pies and things out uh, unless she was expecting company but uh, this is a bit weird well, I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe he, he, like he invited them over to have this conversation. Maybe he put out the cheese and fruit play because, plate, because company was coming over. And there's like a juice jug and there's like, yeah. the, the, and there's a, there's a coffee carafe and uh, it just. All right. What if this is Rosita's apartment and not his? Does it make any more sense now? No. Not really, eh? Not yeah. really. Cause she's got a child. The place should be a fucking disaster if, you know, experience has anything to do with it. Toys everywhere and the sink full of dirty dishes and uh, right. crap all over the, uh, you know, formula and milk spilled all over the place and everything is sticky for some reason. Uh, so, no, this this place doesn't make zero sense to me whatsoever. All right. Well, I, I sort of agree with you. Like, I got the same vibes when I saw it. I definitely noticed the the fruit and food table in the background. And I just thought that is unusual for the world they live in. And I know the Commonwealth is pretty comfortable, but still, I don't know. Maybe we're just not used to seeing that kind of thing on this show. So it really stands out. So Eugene strikes me as a guy that gets stuck in his own head, right? Uh Like, and we've even seen that in the previous episodes where it was, we had that, uh, uh, that noir episode where he was trying to, you know, do the investigation and he's doing mm-hmm. a, a separate thing here. Uh, and he also strikes me as the absent-minded professor kind as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, he's very smart, but you walk into his life and it's a fucking disaster because what he's focused on, he's laser focused on and everything else can go fuck itself. Right. So you walk into this apartment and it looks like he spends all his time primping it and cleaning it and getting it ready for company. And I'm not even saying company. I'm saying company, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> On purpose. Yeah. So it uh, just the, the it's the apartment does not seem to be uh, to have a correlation with Eugene. They seem to be you know incongruous. Yeah. And, and I don't understand it. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I just think it's incongruous with the whole show. That's part, maybe part of the problem, right? But I get it. It doesn't feel like Eugene's apartment. It doesn't really feel like anybody, any of our characters' apartment would be like. I mean, certainly not at this point into the apocalypse. So yeah, I get it. Maybe, maybe the Oracle from the Matrix. Maybe. Okay. Right? That's the only person I can think of that would have an apartment like this. And even she had... uh, it wasn't as nice as this. Right. Well, I don't know. This is this is the apartment they've somehow found themselves in. I think maybe maybe it was just assigned to Eugene and 
He's just kind of living there. It's not really his style. It's been weeks. Yeah, right? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> you know, if uh, you know, if I was Eugene and I lived this, in this apartment for six weeks, there'd be laundry piled up on the stove. Like that's the kind of place that this would be. <laughs> well, I'm sure your wife really loves living with you. <laughs> Anyways, man. So they're in this apartment, and they explain to Connie and Kelly what's going on. And then they, Connie pulls out that list of names that was left at her door. Remember? Yeah. And they realize that April's name is on the list. April's the woman who died last episode. Uh, but there are also way more names. So Rosita figures that there must be something else going on, but we mm -hmm. don't know what. Well, more names than were in the apartment or in the, in the house. Yeah. But we also know that there've been multiple missions like that. And I think they were saying like even more names than then would account for all the civilians that have gone missing. Right. So something's going on. All right. So we now see Carol dropping Judith and RJ off at school. The kids go in and Ezekiel approaches. He's had his surgery and it clearly has been some time because he's up and about, seems perfectly fine, has a bandage on his neck still, but is clearly recovering pretty well. He thanks her for whatever it is she did to get him to the front of the surgery line. So I guess they haven't really talked about that yet. And he wants to show her what he's been doing. But Carol says she's too busy at work and says she has a new job. But she kind of seems all flustered and cagey about it. We don't really know what exactly her new job is, right? Uh, because he does call her out for being like, what, you're too busy at the bakery? Come on. Well, yeah. Some people get busy at the bakery. I totally like, I can't imagine being a baker would be uh, all, you know, cookies and cream pies. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stress going on there, I think. You know, you have to bake this pie. This is, I've got an order for 30 pies. Holy shit. How am I supposed to fill this order for 30 pies in, uh, you know, 27 hours and I've only got one oven? Mm -hmm. You know, like, man, I'm going to need another oven. But, you know, to get another oven, I got to order another oven. It's got to be delivered. It's not going to happen. So I got to, you know, take. 30 pies and go over to uh, my neighbor's house and cook some pies over there. And uh, it just, I, I, it wouldn't stress me out. I, especially if you're the only bakery in a town of 50,000, right? That's probably a pretty high demand for your yeah. baked goods. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember uh, we used to live down the street from uh, the cake lady. I can't remember her name, but it was on Queen Street near River in Toronto. And uh, down the street from where we lived, there was this lady who baked cakes and uh we'd go over there and she was always like wicked stressed out she made wonderful cakes but she was always running around like a crazy person well so that's my only experience with a, with an actual real life person that baked for a living well yeah it sounds very stressful uh all right we go to lance and his troops and aaron and gabe they're marching through the forest and they come across a bunch of walkers so Lance decides that he wants Aaron and Gabe to handle this themselves because they're all so super capable. He's trying to say, like, if you guys survive the riverbend thing, clearly you're going to be fine here. And so Daryl steps up to help, and all three of these characters get kind of really impressive uh, kills when they're fighting these walkers. Yeah. Aaron steps up and punches one with his mace hand and the walker's head just explodes. It's a water balloon. Yeah, but, you know, head, exploding head looked pretty good. Then Gabe takes out his machete, slices one sort of diagonally down the head, right in half, and then the head slides down and off in two pieces. Pretty awesome. 
And then Daryl, he's got his big rifle, right? So he spears one with his bayonet and then turns it around to line it up with another zombie and shoots through both of them with one bullet. Yep. <laughs> Pretty fun. And so they take care of all these zombies, good times, and Daryl then tells Lance that he saved him a bullet and kicks a zombie head over to his feet. And as Lance passes Daryl on their way, he tells him to put his helmet on. Back on, because he had to take it off to to have combat or go into combat. Because that's yeah. what you do when you go into combat. You take your fucking armor off. Take your helmet off. Right. I'm not going to need this thing. Uh, and then later we see them arriving at Hilltop. But before we find out what happens there, we cut over to Tommy in his office. He seems rather distressed. Somebody comes in and he has these pills and booze on his desk, which he hides in the drawer, uh, which is what characters on TV do all the time. Yeah, especially surgeons. You know, if you're going to be a surgeon, yeah. you got you to get a drink between patients. Of course you do. I mean, Jack Shepard taught us that, right? Yeah. And if, uh, you know, what else you need to do is, is a super ton of cocaine. <laughs> right, that's the only way to really get through, uh, get through the day. A super ton, eh? Is that an uh, official measuring standard for cocaine? I don't know. It's all the cocaine. You you got to do all the cocaine. All of it. I see. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, it's Ezekiel who who came in his office, and he asks him to do him a favor, which involves an appendectomy for a friend of his, and he says he wants to take care of it outside the system because this person can't afford the procedure. Tommy says this kind of thing is incredibly risky and he's upset right now because he lost a patient just that morning. This guy strikes me as a really crappy surgeon. He's drinking all the time. He's losing a patient. Uh, you know, it. I, I think he needs to go back to the bakery. I really do. I think it's for the best of the community as a whole. I think it might be. I, I don't want to say that, you know, when a patient dies... Um, it doesn't mean the surgeon is bad. It means not necessarily. No, it it could, I suppose, but it it you know generally the surgeon is doing everything he or she can to save the patient, and sometimes they still die. But I think you're right. I mean, he at the very at the end of the day, he doesn't want to be this surgeon, and so it's weighing on him greatly and maybe affecting his work. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I definitely, when I, when I want a surgeon, if there's going to be a surgeon working on me, I want that to be a, a narcissistic sociopath who is absolutely sure that they are God and that they can do no wrong. And I want them to be super overconfident. Uh, I don't want them to be like, well, I don't really feel like it. I really would just want to be a baker. Uh, I don't like this job. I got a drink to get through the day. That's the <laughs> surgeon I don't want. No, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, anyways, he's- I want uh, Dr. Strange. I want Dr. Strange before he had his accident. Okay. That's what I want. Yeah. He was obsessed. That's right. With Yeah, uh, he absolutely would. And he was extremely skilled, very good. Super confident and basically uh, a sociopath. Like he did not give a shit about anybody but except he, himself. Yeah, but he got shit done. He got shit done, and he, yeah, he, you know, that's that's the surgeon I want. This guy, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, he doesn't seem all together. Uh, more from them later, but for now, we cut over to Eugene. He is in the train station. He meets with Max, pretending to be a delivery boy. Those are his words. He's got a bag full of groceries. And 
he asks her to steal some files and then he reveals that it involves Sebastian Milton and he says that Mercer can corroborate this story. Um, you know, he, so he's, he's using her as sort of an inside connection in, within the powerful people and the government and he, he wants these files. And Max is a little taken aback by this, but we do learn that her brother's name is Michael Mercer. Yeah. So Michael and Max Mercer. It's great. Yeah, of course, it's perfect. It's great. And the rid of names are awesome. They are awesome. And I, I assume she's probably a Maxine. So Michael and Maxine yeah. Mercer. Or Maximilian. I could go either way. Uh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hazard a guess at Maxine. But either way, you're right. I, I do like the names. Good. Maximite? Good. Is Maximite a name? I don't know. Maybe. Is why it, not? I don't see why you can call anybody anything you want, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are no laws. Except Lord. I don't think you can call somebody Lord. Probably not in the UK or Britain. Well, they used to, they, they used to could do that. There was a guy that changed his first name to Lord and he put it on his credit card. Like, cause that's what, that was his name. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't do anything different. It's just that he would go to a restaurant he'd start to pay for it. And when he was uh, paying for it, he'd see friggin' Lord Smith or whatever the hell his name was. All of a sudden they would treat him a lot better. They wouldn't do anything different, like give him anything or oh, yeah. do anything. It's just, uh, they just all of a sudden would primp up. Uh, and so he noticed that until they uh, changed a lot so that you can't have your first name be Lord or Sir or anything like that. I mean, if my last name was Stanley, I'd consider it, I'd be Lord Stanley. You would have a cup. Like you can, is that, that's Stanley cup, right? It Did is I get indeed. That right? Yeah. Oh, look at me. Look at you. <laughs> Hockey reference. <laughs> I understood. Barely, barely well, understood. Well, you know, I am Canadian. I do know what Lord Stanley's cup is. Well, there you go. I mean, it's, it's part of our DNA really. It's hard. It's hard not to know that. Hard coded into Canadian brains. Yeah. Uh, all right. We, uh, cut over to Lance and everybody approaching the hilltop and we have now Jason reached the six month later scene that we saw at the end of episode nine, when, uh, this block of episodes began. Right. And so, uh, well, the real question I have here was, am I right or am I wrong? Because my assumption when we first saw this was that Maggie and Daryl were in cahoots. So their courts, they're sort of in cahoots. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not altogether wrong, but I'm not altogether right. It's not like they were doing this on purpose to infiltrate the, uh, um, the Commonwealth, like I thought, but they are working together. They are. And we, we, I think we know the least about Daryl's situation here, right? We, we kind of have the, the least amount of input into what he's thinking, what he's doing. He keeps giving our characters these looks like he did with uh, Gabe and, and Aaron earlier, and he does another one in a moment here. Um, and he's clearly, you know, he's clearly not working against Maggie and all of his friends at Hilltop, but he's also kind of working with the Commonwealth. So, you know... It, I think Daryl's situation here is the most, um, not wishy-washy, but unclear to the viewer yeah. right now. Yeah. It's kind of nebulous. It needs to coalesce into something concrete. It does a little bit. Um, and I'm sure it will, but here we are at this scene that we saw in that previous episode. Lance steps up and says to Maggie, there are killers on the loose and he wants to come in and search Hilltop, but of course she's not having any of it. Lance turns around. Daryl offers to talk to her and he says that he doesn't want to shoot anybody here today. And so he's going to see what he can do. 
And then, as we know, this is what we saw. Daryl steps up, takes off his helmet, asks her to open up. And he basically asks Maggie to trust him, not Lance, trust me. And so she decides to, and she lets them in. And as they're walking through the gate, Daryl's standing there. And this is where he gives Gabe and Aaron this other look. And I, I, I think a slight nod, kind of saying, you know, don't worry, we got this. But... This is it. So it's the same scene. We just see a little bit more of it and they move on into the uh, hilltop. Now, I went back, Jason, and I watched the scene that we saw in episode nine. I compared it to this and it's actually pretty different. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's the same, but different. You know, they they refilmed parts of it. Um, Of course, in episode nine, there was no sign of Aaron or Father Gabe standing in that crowd of soldiers, Mm. but they're definitely standing there in this episode. And we definitely see a similar shot that they're just not in before. So they were either, they either filmed it twice or they digitally removed them from the original scene. So there's that. And then this is kind of funny, but since I was studying it so intently, when Ma- Maggie says to Daryl, it doesn't have to be this way. And when we see it in this episode, we're looking up at her from Daryl's perspective on the ground. And I think her mouth is digital. Really? If, yeah. If you look closely, her lips to me just look like they're moving way too much, way like over pronouncing things. And I think... It was a shot of Maggie just standing up there and they needed the line, it doesn't have to be this way. And they moved her mouth for her. I think it, when you stare at it, it's like, I can't unsee it. <laughs> well, I got to go back and look at that now. That's, that's funny. Yeah, it is. It's, it is kind of funny. And then I listened to how people delivered lines. And when, when Daryl says, yeah, yeah, it does. He says it's to my ear anyways, he says it slightly more aggressively in the original version. Mm. So they were really playing up the idea, I think, when we saw this the first time, that there is a conflict between these two characters, whereas now we know there isn't nearly as much, I don't think. So, I don't know. I just thought it was fun to, to go and compare the two. That's, that is fun. I didn't think it would be different, but uh, it looks like they filmed it twice. Well, you know why I did it? It's because when we saw the the ice cream scene with Eugene and Max, yeah, from you know his perspective or a different angle, uh, one of our listeners pointed out that they they refilmed it, and I'm like, I bet you they reshot some of this too, or just you know shot it twice on the day, knowing they were going to need kind of two versions of it. So that's why it prompted me to do it, and it's definitely a little bit different. And the mouth thing I thought was hilarious, right? So anyways, we take a commercial break and we come back and we're with Mercer and he's working out. This dude is jacked, man. He has got some huge arms. I wasn't expecting him to be this jacked. Did we know this? We didn't know this. Well, uh, he's- We knew he was a big guy. We knew he was a fit guy, but I didn't know he was fucking jacked like this. He's he's massive. Like those are some huge arms, big muscles. I kind of had a feeling he he was ripped, but- uh, have we seen him, you know, shirtless other than this episode? Not, I don't think so, but you know, Jack dude. Yeah. Whatever. Just put him on a pedestal, have him, <laughs> you know, without his shirt on and just spinning around slowly and, uh, you know, make a couple episodes like that. There you go. Well, why not? Anyways, he's working out. 
Max comes in and confronts him about all the Sebastian stuff. And of course, she's really upset by it all. And Mercer makes the point to her that this place isn't perfect. In some ways, it's just like the old world. And um, he also says that those people lost their lives because he missed it. And he feels like he failed them. Uh, but he also says he fixed things. And I think what he's saying is I fixed things by killing those two soldiers that were working for Sebastian. Yeah. <laughs> if that fixes anything, I don't know. Um, but he talks about letting Sebastian walk free because he has 50,000 other lives to worry about. And Sebastian is just one. And he also thinks that if he goes after him, he might end up disappearing. And then who's going to run things around here and keep people safe. Um, but Max is pretty disappointed that he's unwilling to help and feels like he could change things for the better, but he doesn't want to. Yeah, it's kind of sad, but true. Maybe a little bit. But what I thought was most interesting about this scene here is something that Max says. Uh, I think I think she says that she has Pamela Milton's ear, right? Because she works directly with her. But Mercer has the community's ear, right? So she's kind of in the pocket of the powerful and he's icon amongst the common working class people. And I think between the two of them, they have this in with both, both sides and could probably really work both sides a little bit to, you know, affect some change maybe. Yep. You know, I think that's what the whole point of this was. She basically said that. Um, and, you know, again, I thought I liked this scene a lot, partly because these are the most lines that Mercer's had, I think, in all the rest of the episodes combined. And I thought the dude did a really good job. And I wasn't sure I was really that excited about them expanding his character. But now that it's happening, it's like that time with Princess. I originally wasn't sure I wanted to get to know her, and then I did. And now I think she's great. And I'm feeling the same thing with Mercer. So good job, show. <laughs> Atta boy. Yeah, atta boy. Um, any other thoughts on these two standing here before we continue? Uh, not really. All right, fair enough. Back to Ezekiel and Tommy. They are gathering supplies, or I should say maybe like stealing supplies from the hospital because they're going to yep. go and help Ezekiel's friend. Yeah, they're kind of absconding with supplies. Okay, somewhere in between gathering yeah. and stealing? Yeah, they're just acquiring supplies. Yeah, you're, like you say, it's it's just, you know, they there's stuff here that we need to uh -huh. do stuff there. So we need to move the stuff from here to there. Nobody needs to know about that except no, for us. More of a transport job than anything. Yeah. All right. Fair. Uh, they wait by a door for some troops to pass and they chat about breaking rules. Uh, and Tommy says that, you know, why upset, upset the apple cart if the apple cart is keeping you safe? And Ezekiel agrees that that is the struggle, right? Sure. The Commonwealth keeps us safe, but look at what else they do. And yeah. And, you know, there's, that's why it's so difficult. Anyways, they go out the door, they try to sneak out of the hospital, but they bump into a trooper and are arrested. So Oopsie. that's a bummer. Uh, back with Lance and all of his troops are now searching the hilltop. They're inside, of course. And he finds the truck that Maggie drove to Riverbend, the, the blue truck. So he goes on and on about the state of the truck and finding tire tracks. And 
he's without directly saying it, he's accusing Maggie of being there because he has no idea that she was even there. And she claims that he was restoring the engine, but it still won't start. So he connects a wire that he finds and he thinks that if it starts, it implicates her in all of this. So he gets in, he turns the key and what happens? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> a big fat nothing. And here's another scene that I thought was really well done because the look on his face is really disappointed and confused. I thought, I think Lance was going, I have her now, you know, I've got her, I've caught her in her lie. And then the truck doesn't start. And he's like, oh crap, what do I do now? Yeah. Well, he's pretty cocksure, but, uh, he, you know, it doesn't work out in his favor. No, definitely does not. So Maggie walks over and says that they can look all around uh, they can look around all they want until sundown, but then they got to leave. And she's yep. so cold to him. Daryl's standing there too, watching, but doesn't say anything. Without his uniform on. Uh, yes, without his uniform on, which he had, remember, when he walked into Hilltop, he was wearing it. Yeah, but now he doesn't have it anymore. No, first thing he did was take it off. And I'm like, does he have a, a guy that, like, follows him around and carries his armor when he doesn't feel like wearing it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a cross between a, a valet and a squire, right? So Squire, that's the word from Game of Thrones. Yeah. We were, we were trying to remember what it was. Who's, who's we? You and I, on when? a previous recording, uh, um, Podrick was a squire, was he yeah. not? Podrick was great. He was one of the best characters on the show. I know, but we were trying to remember that last week, I think, and we couldn't, but there you go. It just popped into your brain and then into mine. Yeah. So, yeah, Podrick was awesome, and when uh, Tyrion Lannister got him a, a, a prostitute, uh, a couple of prostitutes actually to thank him for whatever. Uh, and then, uh, he went in there and they refused to charge him money. Uh, and so <laughs> he brought the money back and Tyrion was all confused. Like what? They're prostitutes. Why wouldn't they charge you? Well, what did you do? Uh, so he's so awesome yeah. that he, even the, uh, even the ladies of the evening wouldn't, wouldn't charge him any money. Well, Podrick, good old Podrick. <laughs> Love him. Love him. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. After a commercial break, we are with Ezekiel and Tommy. They're in a room. They're in handcuffs because they were arrested. One of the troopers opens the door, but Carol comes in instead. And she sends the trooper away, thanking him for his discretion. And apparently what happened here is Ezekiel asked for her in hopes that her new job could help. And she releases them. Nice. I felt like this was a little convenient, to be honest. You know? Yeah, she's worming her way into the echelons of uh, power in this society. I guess. But is that the point they were trying to make? Like, why not? Like, if this is all it is, why not just let them escape the hospital without being arrested? It just feels like kind of an unnecessary scene that They doesn't... needed Carol involved. They had to get Carol involved and invested. Yeah, okay. I guess so, but... I just found it weird that Carol all of a sudden has this kind of ability, right? To be like, no, no, no. I know you arrested these people, but I say they're okay. She does favors for people. Yeah. She's like Littlefinger. She does. She just kind of worms her way in, doesn't really have any power, uh, but she does a favor here and a favor there and people owe her and she's a, she's a, she's a power broker. And it all adds up until she holds all of the power. Yeah. You know. She just, you know, starts wheedling things around and manipulating things. She's uh, kind of a cross between Littlefinger and uh, Moriarty. All right. I guess so. 
I thought I thought it was awkward to be honest, but if they were just weaving Carol into this, then I guess that's worth it. They kind of dropped this in here so we'd know what she's uh you know, what kind of influence she has, I suppose. Yeah, not Moriarty. I'm thinking of Sherlock Sherlock's brother. What's his brother's name? I don't know. I have to look that up. All right. Well, while you're doing that, our characters go to the animal farm slash veterinary center. Uh Of course, you know, that's where Ezekiel works because he was a zookeeper in a previous life. And then hidden inside this veterinary center seems to be a treatment center for people. So Ezekiel has set up a secret kind of out like barn based hospital for people which again i thought was weird but this is what he's been working on and he's just trying to help people out and you know live life to the fullest i guess because he survived his uh his thyroid cancer yeah he's got to do the good he's got to do the good things he's doing the good yeah mycroft his name is mycroft all right very good glad you looked that up thanks Now, Mercer, he's waiting outside Princess's apartment in the hall. She shows up and he starts to apologize to her for being cold and distant earlier when they were in bed. And he says having a relationship is new to him. And I thought it was really nice here. Princess basically tells him that it's okay to not be okay. And, you know, I can help out. I'm willing to listen. I'll do whatever to help you through whatever it is you got going on. So he straight up admits to her that he killed his two troopers and he's covering it up. But he says the thing that bothers him the most is that he'd do it again. And he starts to speculate whether this job is even right for him anymore. So Princess takes him inside saying they'll figure it out together. Nice. Yeah. And again, another nice scene, I thought, of her being just really, really supportive and saying the right things. And I'm liking the dynamic between these two now you know what i mean he's suffering has these problems and she kind of knows she can't solve all of his problems but she can be there for him when he needs support yeah they're so nice that i think that uh, eugene should watch them have sex (laughs) he's probably in the apartment already waiting for them to come home yeah yeah weirdo (laughs) who me or, or eugene I'm mostly Eugene. Okay, mostly. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a sliding scale, but it doesn't go all the way to, from one end to the other. Not all the way, no. Yeah, no. okay, good. Good, good, good. All right. Well, back at Hilltop, Herschel, he is there. He is by some graves marked with stones. He starts to walk away, and Lance confronts him. He asks if he or Maggie have taken any trips lately, and Lance asks for his help in finding out truth and he gives him the old is there anything you want to tell me line to Herschel you know there must be something but Herschel does not break he says I just should go find my mom but then Lance persists and he pulls out Herschel's hat which he apparently found at Riverbend we didn't see that did we no of course not no so he has Herschel's hat he puts it on his head perfect fit he says and then touches his shoulder and suddenly Elijah shows up and grabs Lance and slams him against a nearby brick wall. Yeah, you shouldn't touch little kids, especially. And I don't understand why they left him alone. Why would they leave him alone to wander around the compound? Fucking give him an escort. You mean Herschel or Lance? Lance. Oh, yeah. Have someone walk around with him. Like why? Yeah, why? Uh, and I, I understand that's why uh, What's-His-Name is there. 
you know, Johnny on the spot there when he touches uh, Herschel. Elijah, yeah. Elijah, you know, give him, just have an escort. And then when, as soon as he starts talking to a little kid, it's like, you go see your mom. Like, yeah. you know, don't talk to the little kid without his mom present. Uh, or I'm going to put this sickle through your skull. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Elijah was there pretty fast. So maybe he was, you know, just lurking nearby waiting for something to go wrong. Cause he was there before we even knew it really. And yeah, he, he's a ninja. Of course. Yeah. I think he probably is. Yeah. So we now have, uh, Lance up against the wall. And of course, Maggie and Daryl hear some commotion. They run over. So do a bunch of Commonwealth troopers. The troopers raise their guns at everybody. Daryl raises his gun against the Commonwealth troopers. Yep. And Maggie points hers directly at Lance with Herschel kind of cowering at her leg beside her. So here we go again with Daryl. He is not on the Commonwealth side here. He points nope. his guns at the people who are supposed to be his like direct allies. Yes. So, and we can tell that because Daryl's wearing all black and all the troopers are wearing all white and he took off his white armor. So this explains why he took his armor off so that he could be all in black. So we'd understand the decision that just happened. Okay. Fair enough. It's a visual representation of that decision, but overall, I think it's a little insane that this would actually ever happen have a member of a military just pick up a gun and point his his gun at his you know fellow military people well that's a uh, yeah that's a that's an offense of course but that's what happens here so daryl is clearly on maggie's side at this point so lance makes this insanely arrogant offer to maggie i thought he says something to her like I'm a nice guy. I'll let you back down. You know, he doesn't back down. He says, I'll let you back down and then everything will be fine here. Yeah. Like what a dick. He's the biggest dick. Huge. And of course her response is that most people who threatened her family are dead now. So Daryl now, who's been pointing his gun at the troopers, turns around and points his gun straight at Lance, basically point blank, and tells him to order his troops to drop their weapons. But he doesn't just say this. He says, tell them to drop their guns before something really fucking bad happens. <laughs> and it might be my new favorite line on the show, Jason. Okay, well, there it is. First of all, it's the first F-bomb we've yep. ever had. Love a good F-bomb. Yeah. Norman Reedus delivers it so well. Yeah. I thought. I thought he did an incredible job with that line. Well, you knew he would, right? Like yeah. it's, it's the kind of thing that Norman Reedus would say and really fucking dig his, sink his teeth into. I totally agree. And God, it was so good. It's so much more um, impactful when they use like real language like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I thought it was amazing. And it came out of nowhere. I was not spoiled on this line happening which is exciting uh, because sometimes people send in emails and stuff like that before I've seen the new episode, which is fine. And often people are good about, you know, warning me about spoilers and stuff like that, but this was not spoiled for me. So I was just sitting there and then he delivers this line. It's so good. And uh, I just absolutely loved it. The whole thing I thought was amazing. Awesome. Amazing. It was good. 
uh, Happy Jack sent us in this call. Holy crap. Daryl just dropped the F-bomb. That was awesome. Was anybody else thinking what I was thinking at that very second? Judith walking up to him and saying, Uncle Daryl, language! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but she's busy in school, so she couldn't do that. But yeah, I could, you know, I think that would have been funny. Um, I wonder though, Jason, did you notice uh, what you were looking at when he delivered this line? What, What the shot on screen was? No. Well, it was a shot of Daryl, gun raised, and you couldn't see his mouth. Mm. You know how sometimes when they censor bad language on TV, they blur out the lips of the person saying it? Yep. I wonder if part of the reason they can, they can get away with this now is because they don't, like they didn't show his mouth moving saying the word fucking. I don't know. I, I think that's ridiculous I, that they have to do that at all, but I, I, I was just wondering. Or was it well, just the best shot, you know? I don't know. I think it probably was a, I don't know if we can get away with this and we need to have a fallback position if the sensors don't let us do it. Yeah. So they, if they showed his mouth make the words, they'd have to they'd have to do two different versions. Uh, and then what if one version was better than the other and all that kind of stuff. This way, if his, if his face is facing away, uh, then they could dub whatever line they wanted on top of that and nothing else would change. Oh gosh, you're probably right about that. You, they could ADR it and change the word if they wanted to. Yeah. Or had so to. It, yeah, it's their fallback position, but luckily they got it in, right? So uh, yeah, uh, that's good. Remember um, back at the end of uh, season four, I want to say, when Rick and everybody are in the train car and Rick says they're screwing with the wrong people. Yeah. They shot that with the word fuck as well. Yeah. And I, I think remember. put it out on the home video release. Uh, so I've, you know, we've all seen, or I've seen that clip. A lot of people have seen that too. Um, th- in that case though, the mouth wasn't obscured. So I think they right. actually had to shoot both so that it, the lips lined up. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a famous example of William Shatner doing that in the original Star Trek. I think it was the episode where uh, he uh, kissed Uhura, Uhura, and it was the first interracial interracial kiss on television. Right. And they filmed. They didn't know if they could get away with it in the late '60s, uh, so they filmed two different versions. They filmed a version where they kissed, and filmed a version where they didn't. But William Shatner kept winking at the camera and making faces and kept fucking up all the versions where they didn't kiss. Huh. So they were forced to use the actual version where they kissed. Ah, good old Will. Yeah, he's a he's a national treasure. Good old Bill Shatner. Yeah. Canadian yeah. national treasure. Oh, I know. Also American. The, the, the prick went to space for crying out loud. Like just last year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the man's a, he's a god. He just, Everything he touches turns to gold. Well, I appreciate that story about him messing up the takes that, you know, he didn't want to use because I think what he was going for was something important, which is good. Absolutely. All right. Well, anyways, I love this scene. Uh, Kudos to everybody involved. And, you know, it just blew me away. So Lance orders his troops to lower their weapons, tells them to pack up because they're leaving. And then is in just continuing to be such a giant dick, he apologizes to Maggie for any miscommunication. Like there was any miscommunication here. Well, that's what you do when you're, you know, a 
super prick, a complete He's, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry if there was any kind of miscommunication. I mean, I'm sure I went meant to manipulate your son into telling, uh, uh, telling me something I wanted to hear and, uh, put my, you know, I was able to grab him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, then I was stopped and there was a, you know, potential gun battle there, but, uh, all, it was a miscommunication. It, it, it definitely a kerfuffle anyways. Yeah, and and the kind of thing you would go and say, yeah, I really appreciated the open and frank conversation that we had. Right. You know, and that's <laughs> that's what you say when you start yelling at people and swearing your fucking head off at them. Mm-hmm. Just like that was that was a uh, you know, I appreciate the open and we had an open and frank conversation and it came down to uh, you know, cooler heads prevailed and uh, we agreed to disagree. There you go. That's exactly what happened here. <laughs> yeah. Uh well, before we cut to the commercial break, we just get one more shot in this scene as Lance and everybody are walking away, but it's a shot of Elijah, Maggie, Herschel, and Daryl kind of watching them walk away, and we're just looking at the four of them. I thought it was a great shot, and it made me feel like it's us against them, sort of. And what I mean like that is this group against the others. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what they were going for, if, or if it was more just kind of a finishing establishing shot if you know what i mean for this whole situation but i really got the feeling that yeah these four represent one side even though daryl's kind of working both of them right now so he kind of made his choice once you point your weapon at the you know the the head of your uh organization uh really you're making a choice there yeah you would think but our next scene is in the forest and they're around a campfire and we're back with aaron and gabe who are sitting there and daryl's there so you know he's he's left the hilltop with this group of commonwealth people and aaron and gabe too and he informs them that informs them that they're not going back they're staying out to search for these riverbed people still so it really doesn't feel like there are any consequences immediately here for Daryl breaking the rules like that. He's just back with the gang and he actually has the inside information still, you know? Yeah. He's not required to wear his uniform. He can point his weapon at whoever he wants. He can say whatever he wants. Uh, you know, it, it felt kind of dumb that there were no consequences for what just happened. You know what I mean? Not- yeah. And I mean, what, 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 what should have happened? Like he probably should have been arrested by the other troopers and held yeah. captive or whatever until they like take them back, take them back to the Commonwealth and deal with it. Charged with insubordination. That's yeah. Absolutely. It, at the very minimum, he was insubordinate, if not treasonous. But none of that happened. So I don't know. It just seems like they're going to forget about it unless there's something going on that we haven't seen yet. I don't know. But for now, he's just in the clear, I guess. Yeah. I remember one time I was in the, uh, when I was in the reserves or uh, in, you know, training for the reserves uh, way back in the day, I was leaving the armories uh, one fine Thursday evening and I was uh, heading out to, uh, to go home and I ran across an officer coming in and uh, I remember getting fucking, I almost got written up because I didn't have my coat done up. And in the, I don't know if it's uh, universal within all militaries or whether it was just Canadian military, but the, the rule was do it up or take it off. Okay. So there was no leaving a coat undone uh, or a button undone. It's either do it up. If it's too hot, take it off. Sure. If you're allowed part of your uniform. So I was leaving with my, uh, you know, full, it was like a full length fucking wool coat. It was a wonderful coat. I loved it. 
But, uh, yeah, I got dressed down and I almost got written up by this officer for having a fucking unbuttoned coat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Daryl's traipsing around pointing weapons at people. If I pointed a weapon at anybody, like anybody, uh, I would have been shot. Like we were on the range. I remember we were on the firing range and we had our, uh, uh, we had our assault rifles and we were pointing them down range and uh, firing at targets and stuff. And there was guys in towers and the instructor was very clear. He said, you point that weapon down range at all times. If you point that weapon anywhere else, that guy up there, he'll shoot you. Like that's his job yeah. is to protect other people. You'd point that anywhere except for directly that way. That guy's going to fucking shoot you. So I mean, that'll get your the- attention. It got our attention. Uh-huh. That's how, you know, uh, muzzle discipline. That's why you have muzzle discipline. You do not point your weapon at somebody unless you absolutely intend to fire it. Yeah. And this guy pointed, Daryl pointed his weapon at Hornsby. He, well, you know, frankly, he did intend to fire it. Uh, there should be consequences for that in any military organization. I, I'm pretty, I pretty much guarantee there will not be at this point. Um, but I agree there probably should have been something, but for now he's still there. He's hanging out and he tells Gabe and Aaron that they're staying out to continue searching for the people. Yeah. He's Iron Man. I think he's Iron Man. Cause Iron, you know, Tony Stark does not play by the rules. No, he, he doesn't. He doesn't, uh, you know, does not conform to society's, uh, conformities. He just he absolutely <laughs> does not give a shit. Nope. Definitely not, not even not even by superhero standards, right? He's supposed to have a secret identity and a public identity. Then at the end of the movie, sorry to spoil 2003 or whenever the hell that movie came out, but you know when he went got in front of a bunch of reporters and said, "I am Iron Man." I am Iron Man. That, yeah, that blew me away. That that moment was uh, a pivotal moment in superhero uh, mythology in well, my mind. He needed to deliver that line, and it was surprising. But what a great ending, man! Great ending of that movie. It it was a great ending, and. Yeah. All right. I want, yeah. I'm not going to say anything else. There you go. Well, uh, back to the episode, a trooper comes to tell Lance that they found something and he wants to go see. Oh no. Yeah. They found something. Uh, before we find out though, we go to Ezekiel and Carol back at the animal farm. They're chatting. He's saying he's happy to have a fresh start. He ter- tells Carol how much he appreciates her and she says that after, it's amazing that after all these years of darkness, he can still see the light. And he responds with how darkness is heavy and some people can carry a lot of it uh, if they're strong enough. And he also says, you know, you make the light too through friendship and strength. And she jokes that they're not getting back together. Uh, I, I liked it. I liked this scene. I thought it was nice. It was a nice scene between friends and you know, she's, she's right. Like Ezekiel has this permanent positive attitude, it seems, and it works for him and it rubs off on other people too, which is good. It does. And he, his reply to that is, uh, to, you know, to Carol saying, we're not getting back together is, uh, he, he says, uh, you keep saying that. <laughs> All right. So I don't believe it for a second either, but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, Speaking of Ezekiel's light, he's, he's, uh, the only way I can really describe it is he's, is that he's effervescent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he and he's just, uh, you know, it's an, and it's infectious. It's, uh, when you meet somebody who is like that, you either, 
uh, are just happy to be around them or you fucking hate them. You hate <laughs> One or them the other. so much. I remember being in, uh, this was the mid nineties and I was uh, terribly, terribly unhappy with my job and my life and everything. And then these two people came into the office. I was working at a booking agency and they uh, ran a, uh, a farm where they provided uh, horse and carriage rides for whatever reason, if we ever needed a horse in a carriage, we'd call them. They'd bring their horses and stuff. It was really nice. And they came into the office and it was a father and a daughter. Uh, and they just seemed to genuinely enjoy each other's company. They mm-hmm. seemed happy and content and just genuinely enjoyed each other's comp- company. And it was, uh, I fucking hated them in that moment. Absolutely <laughs> despised them. I did. I wanted them to die. You were young and bitter and now you're old and accepting. I think I was in the middle of a breakup and, uh, you know, life was not going well at the moment, you know, and when I look back, I don't hate them. No, of course. They were nice people and they had great horses and they always did a wonderful job. So I was just, and I recognized even in that moment that it was me and not them. Right. It wasn't their fault that, that I hated them. It was my fault. And I knew that. So I did, it just, it wasn't that, uh, it wasn't them I wanted to die. I just, it was me that, anyway, it was definitely my problem. Totally. Well. like now, the, when I'm around people like that, I get the other side of the coin. It's nice to be around them. It's nice to, oh good. to and when you encounter somebody who's just like that, it's, uh, it's weird. Well, that's <laughs> but good. But it's nice. And, you know, these two people, Carol and Ezekiel, have great chemistry on screen, and that's what they're like. I think they are just people you want to be around as long as you're not a little girl. And Carol's going to shoot you. But oh, yeah. You got to be careful. You do. You got to be careful about being a little girl. You do. Carol. Absolutely. But the two of them, I think, are great. And uh, I, and I do think the whole we're not getting back together thing was funny. And who knows? Maybe they will someday. Of course they will. Yeah. It'd be nice. Well, you know, Carol was she's in, was in a dark place. And she's coming back slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, they're absolutely getting back together. And we thought Ezekiel was going to die, but he's not going to die now, right? No, he's not. Well, not till the end of the show, but they'll absolutely, oh shit. There's a spinoff show that taints this, doesn't it? Well, there's the Carol and Daryl show. There's not the Carol and Ezekiel show. So I know. And that's what I'm worried about. Maybe they won't get back together. See this spoiler bullshit spinoff crap. Yeah, maybe Ezekiel dies, is killed, and that's what pushes Carol away to leave, right? You know, who knows? I'm Now I'm thinking about that, and now I'm arg. upset. Yeah. Arg. Well, anyways, they are sitting there, and suddenly somebody calls saying that the patient's appendix has burst. So they jump up and run over, and they help Tommy take it out and save her life. So <laughs> this is a weird surgery, right? Like yeah. there's no masks. There's, yeah. uh, I'm surprised that they had anesthetic. Uh, I, was I talking to you on the air about, uh, Victorian times and surgery? Yeah. And how there, there was no anesthetic or anything like that. Yeah. And, and the, the whole, the, you know, the mark of a good surgeon was how fast you were. And that uh, the highest mortality rate of a surgery was 300%. And that's probably going to be the highest it ever will be. So the uh, the, the surgeon killed the patient. Uh, he was trying to uh, amputate an arm. And then he cut off his uh, assistant's fingers. 
while he was doing it. He was going so fast that he cut off his fingers. Uh-huh. Uh, that guy got uh, an infection and died. Uh-huh. Uh, and then somebody watching the surgery uh, had a heart attack and he died. <laughs> so hot. 300% mortality rate on one surgery. Not great. Well, Not great. I, I thought this was like a sort of a dumb ending to this nice scene we had between Carol and Ezekiel moments ago because they run in. None of this made any sense. Like, were they still operating on her? Yeah, it was a great big goddamn hole. Yeah, so they were. And then what happens? Like, they run in and Tommy, who has his assistant Theo there, who yep. presumably is a doctor, like some sort of trained medical person, well, Tommy sends him away. He says, go to the hospital and get more antibiotics. Except you, Ezekiel, you do the, the oxygen pump here. And Carol, you're in charge of gauze. It's like, let's get the inexperienced people to help with the surgery. And we're going to send the experienced person away to go on an antibiotics run. Yeah. And the two people that were mere moments ago sitting in the fucking dirt. Yeah. Uh, where like you know, horses and pigs were like roaming around. Yeah, like, okay, just take a moment, wash your hands. Yeah. Let's start there, okay? <laughs> That's uh, right. Wash your hands, put on a mask, uh, and maybe send Ezekiel and or Carol to go get the meds instead of, uh, yep. you know, the trained professional. Yeah. Uh, and then Carol was dipping the gauze into the into an open wound and pulling it out with just a little tiny bit of blood on it. Like, it wasn't, like, soaked in blood. It was just, like, <laughs> it came out, like, white with yeah. a little bit of blood on it. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't think, I, I don't really get the point of this scene. Uh, it's it's really the only one that I think really didn't work in this, in this episode because, sure, it was tense and is she going to live or die? But, like, we don't even know the woman on the table. Like, we, it's not a character we have any investment in. And for some reason, it's just to show Tommy doing his job and being successful at it, I guess. But, you know, I didn't... No mask, sweating all over the I wound. Didn't, I didn't get it. Yeah, I, I wasn't into it. But ultimately, he saves her life. They get the appendix out, stitch her all up, and everything's good. Is that really what an appendix looks like, that dried up? fucking apricot thing that they pulled out of the, out of her? I think it's smaller than you think. I think it's a little thing. So yeah, I have a feeling that's probably pretty close. That's crazy. It's weird. All right. Well, we go back over to Max. Uh, she has come to see Eugene now and he apologizes for ambushing uh, her earlier in the train station. But she agrees that if this stuff is actually happening, it's really bad. And she's realized that she now has this information. She knows this is going on. So she has no choice but to help. It would be wrong not to. And she promises that whatever happens, or he promises that whatever happens, he'll be by her side through all of this. And then they kiss, which was nice. Oh, that is nice. It was nice. And she finishes off with asking, so what do I need to steal? (laughs) Which I liked. (laughs) There you go. All right. Back in the forest... And Leah, if you recall, Jason, she's the one that stole all the weapons from the Commonwealth and killed the convoy. She's at her camp in a, uh, cleaning a gun. She enters her tent and closes the flap just as some Commonwealth troopers approach with their guns raised. So this is what they found in the forest that they were going to show Lance. Right. And she leans her wep- the weapon she was cleaning uh, up against a tree uh, and leaves it there. She does, eh? She doesn't carry it into the tent with her? She does not carry it into the tent with her, which is, you know, uh, 
Well, first, uh, two things uh, occurred to me at, the, at this one time. Uh, again, back to, uh, you know, going through basic training is that uh, if your weapon is not within arm's reach, it's useless to you. It's, it's like it's, it might as well be on the moon. It is absolutely useless to you. Yep. Uh, you keep it with you at all times. You don't just leave it leaning up against a tree so you can go to bed. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's a horrible thing to do. So you take it with you into your, your bed. You sleep with it. You name it Charlene. You go on with your life uh, with this thing uh, with you at all times. But as soon as she did that and she went into the, uh, into the tent, I'm thinking, she's ambushing them. Well, like she's, uh, you know, uh, she's doing this as a, as a show. See, I'm leaving my weapon here. Mm-hmm. I'm going into the tent. I'm closing the flap. Uh, you know, I, I thought that, uh, this was, uh, uh, an illusion performance. Well, you were right because some, the troopers approach, they open the tent flap and they don't find her. And then all of a sudden two of them are shot and the other ones take cover. And then we hear Lance yelling, hold your fire, hold your fire. We're here to talk. And he says things like, you were not easy to track down, but please listen to what I have to say. And so Leah shows herself um, with her gun pointed at Lance and she says, talk fast. And he says, I'm here to offer you a job. Mm-hmm. And we cut to black. So there you go. Episode over. Did she kill those soldiers by shooting them in the foot? Because as soon as they got shot in their feet uh, or foot. Uh, they were completely out of commission. Well, one got shot in the foot. I think the other got hit somewhere else. I think they both got shot in the foot. She shot them in spots that uh, were would not take them out of action. Like you get shot in the foot, you limp around a little bit, but you're still in combat, right? I don't know, man. Like if I was shot in the foot, I'm pretty sure I'm down. I'm yeah, not. but if you if you were in a combat situation, the adrenaline's pumping. People have been, uh, okay. you know, shot in. Soldiers have been shot in worse spots than that, and uh, were able to continue fighting, at least for a little while. You don't like get shot in the foot and go, "Fuck it, I'm not doing anything anymore. I'm just gonna lie down," because that hurts. Well, I don't know. I'm pretty wimpy. I might. <laughs> well, you're not a soldier, right? No, and, definitely not. You know, one of the one of the precepts of being a soldier is, uh, you know, you don't do you don't fight for God and country. You don't fight for the, uh, uh, you know, the glory of, uh, the state or whatever you're doing. You're fighting for the guy that's standing next to you. And if you don't do your job, he's going to fucking die. And if he doesn't do his job, you're going to die. You're protecting each other. You're fighting for your buddy. You get shot in the foot. You're not just going to go, ah, fuck it. You know, good luck, buddy. Oh yeah. Fair. So, uh, and your adrenaline's pumping. You might not even know at that point wow, that you got shot in the foot. So, you know, they're in a combat situation. They're moving into uh, this situation. Their adrenaline's high. They're amped up. Uh, you know, getting shot in the foot is not going to take them out of commission. Okay. Well, these guys, it does. They go Oh, down. yeah. They're, they're, they're done. There's like, no, I'm going to sleep now. That hurts, man. I'm, you know, I'm going to try and take a nap and sleep it off. I'm just going to rest here for a little while. Yeah. Anyways, that's that. Uh, Leah shows up at the end of two episodes in a row. We've got Daryl in this weird situation of kind of being a double agent, but not even hiding it, which I think is strange, but awesome. Uh, And I think I said earlier, you know, this episode featured more lines for Mercer than I think he's had in every other episode combined. And I loved it. So... Overall, I thought this was a really, really solid episode, and and the f bomb delivered by Daryl just was the cherry on top, man. Is pretty good. More lines, less shirt by Mercer. Yeah, let, 
less shirt, more lines. I like it. <laughs> that guy should just be in every scene with his shirt off and delivering monologues. I'm starting to feel bad. I, I don't mean to objectify, objectify the man. I mean, he's, you know, I'm starting to think, that, okay, here's my problem is that I've been saying these things and I'm starting to feel bad because if it was, if it was a woman that I was saying this about, it would be absolutely horrible, right? Probably inappropriate. It would be absolutely in, inappropriate. So I, I think I have to apologize and uh, I'm going to try and refrain from doing this in the, in the future. All right. I'm just saying that seeing him without a shirt on make me feel kind of funny. Doesn't change the fact that he looks good with no shirt on. Yeah. Okay. But also good actor, lots of lines, want to see more of him, want to see him in other things. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, he's a rising star. Very good. Very good. Uh, all right. Well, great episode. And I can't wait to hear what everybody thinks about it. Uh, and so get that feedback in for our feedback episode coming up later this week um and we only have one more now um one more episode before another hiatus uh that doesn't mean there's not gonna be any walking dead stuff happening we'll talk about that maybe next week based on what's coming up after episode 16 but uh yeah one more and i'm kind of all uh, amped up for like a really good mid mid season finale i think if they keep this up it's going to be something really special so hope so very very cool yeah all right it is that time again jason before we end the podcast when we have to dig into the patreon prize of palooza which in case anybody doesn't know this are the prizes we are giving away for every new episode of the walking dead during season 11 to one of our patrons that is all the people that have supported us at patreon.com slash the talking dead. So if you want to get in on it, go there, check it out, sign up, and uh, you can be included in one of these future draws. Before we start, I want to thank the one new patron we got this week. And I'm just going to be honest here, Jason. I do not know how to pronounce this name. It might not even be a name. So um, I want to thank Dovi. And I don't even have a last initial. And the, the reason I'm saying it like that, it's it's spelled D-W-Y-F-I. And I went and Googled that, and the closest thing I could find was a Welsh name spelled D-Y-F-I, pronounced like Dovey, apparently, according to the website. Uh, if it was Welsh, it'd probably pronounce Sean or something. Well, fair enough. It probably is. I don't know. But uh, anyways... Your Dovey or or whoever you are out there, thank you so much for becoming a patron and supporting us over there at patreon.com slash the talking dead. All right. This week's prize, Jason, is a Negan fun Funko Pop, a black and white blood splattered Negan Funko. It's pretty cool. And I would like you to tell me who it's going to. Okay. So I, uh, <laughs> My neighbors were cutting down trees over the weekend. Okay. So my neighbors on the back, they were trimming all the trees along the, our property line and they were doing all this stuff. Uh, we actually got the name of the, uh, we talked to the people. We're going to have them come at the end of a April to clean up the mess, some of the mess that's in our yard. But uh, he's an arborist and they were cutting down the trees and they were putting it in this uh, this wood chipper. Yep. So what I asked if I could use the wood chipper. He said, well, you can't use the wood chipper, but if you want to throw something in the wood chipper, uh, you know, that'd be okay. Right. Like right. I, I couldn't operate the wood chipper. So what I did was I took a, a log that he had cut down and I took a, a Sharpie and I wrote down all the names on the log. 
thinking that I put it through the wood chipper and then it would mix them all up and I'd dig through the sawdust and find a name. So uh, I, I wrote down all the names on this log and I threw it through the wood chipper. And then I asked if I could have the sawdust that was in there. And he said, sure. So I dug through and I got, you know, a couple of bags full of sawdust and I dumped them out in the living room floor. And I started digging them through all the sawdust uh, to try and find, see if any of the names were, uh, uh, came through there. Great. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but it, it didn't work. So I picked a name out of a hat and the name is Lucy uh, R. <laughs> well, congratulations, Lucy R. I'm, I'm sad that the wood chipper thing didn't work. Me too. Sounds like you a know? great way to pick a name. I mean, it smelled great. I don't know if you, uh, if you like the smell of, uh, you know, fresh sawdust, but I love it. I absolutely think it's amazing. Yeah. I'm not sad that I filled my room, my, my living room full of sawdust. Uh, it's all good. I mean, I feel comfortable with spilling liquids in there now. Right. Sure. You know, yeah. Jasper's Just... running around with a cup of milk and usually I, I don't, uh, I don't have to say, you know, don't drink it and walk at the same time. Two hands, please. Uh-huh. Uh, be careful. I don't have to do that anymore. You can spill it all over the place. We've got sawdust all over the place now. Just soaks right up. That's right. Amazing. Well, that's, that's amazing. That was quite the twist at the end there. I, I did not see that coming, but. Uh... Yeah. Putting names in a wood chipper, it just it mixes them all up. Sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> very good. Anyways, congratulations, Lucy R. I will be in touch uh, to talk about getting the prize out to you. And if you hear this before, feel free to uh, email me directly, but I'll reach out. It's easier that way. Awesome. Especially if there's more than one Lucy R, you never know, right? So got to make sure we get the right one. Uh, that is it, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. As I said, if you want to support us on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash the talking dead. Thank you so much to everyone who does that. And um, we will be back in a few days with our feedback show about this episode of The Walking Dead. So if you'd like to get some feedback in, visit the website at talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail at the top, which will allow you to record a message that will come right to us or just record it in like a voice memo app on your phone or your computer or whatever you have that can record audio. It's usually a great way to get good quality and then uh, email the file to us. You can do that by sending it to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or of course any other comments you might have about the episode or anything Walking Dead related. And then find us on Twitter at Talking Dead as well. Uh, thanks to everyone who follows us on there. All right. It was fun talking about this one. I thought it was a really great episode. And uh, even though we have the feedback to do on, on Thursday, I'm, I'm pumped about the, the second mid-season finale. Uh, so going to be good times. But um, for now, that's it for us. So until Thursday, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.